Hey everybody, welcome back to To The Point. Hope you're doing well. It's been a minute since I've been live, but we are back. A few things last week, but we're going to be full force this week, coming at you with lots of good content. So happy to be back. Lots to talk about. It was a very interesting weekend in the world of pro sports. Today on the program, we're going to be talking about the World Series. Don't know if you care about it. Don't know if you're watching it. Rangers, Diamondbacks, not exactly the sexiest matchup. We'll dive into it. I want to talk about some NHL storylines, including a flop by the league last night. Don't know if you watch it either. Stupid time, stupid opponents, stupid time of year. We'll dive into that mistake, another one by the NHL today. NBA is ongoing. Some fun storylines. That Pacers over, looking good if you took that one which I advised a good friend of mine who doesn't like the NBA, but he has trusted me, and he took the Pacers over, and they're 2-0. Tied for first in the East, if, uh, if you're tracking that sort of thing. College football, interesting weekend, big fight, Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury. So lots to chat about today. We're through, after tonight, we'll be through eight weeks, in the National Football League, which is crazy. And what do we know? What what do we know? I'm trying to figure out what we know. The Kansas City Chiefs are the reigning defending champions, and they lost to the Denver Broncos yesterday. And I don't have a lot of, I still believe that the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, and Travis Kelsey, a.k.a. Taylor Swift's boyfriend, is the best tight end, and their offensive line is pretty good, and their defense was really solid until yesterday in that snow game against the Broncos. But they're 6-2, and two, and they're tied for first in the AFC, and really, at this point of the season, this is the first time they are vulnerable to not being the top seed in the AFC in some time. And they have some weaknesses, and they could use some help. Losing to Denver, that tells you something. tells you that you're not a very good team, even though they've was their first loss to the Denver Broncos since 2015. And it's a divisional matchup, and things are bound to happen. You play twice in three weeks, so it, it's a weird setup. But juxtaposing Kansas City to, say, Philly. Philly played the Washington football team. Some of them call some people call it the Commanders. I don't. They played the Washington football team yesterday. And they beat the football team for the second time in three weeks. Same exact schedule as the Chiefs. Home away, obviously. Divisional game. Both games to the Eagles, extremely close. But to their credit, they won both of those games. And they currently occupy the best record in the entire league. Hmm. Interesting. I don't and again, the Eagles haven't lost these games. I don't think the Eagles are a perfect team. I think the Eagles have a lot of flaws. I think the back end of their defense is something that's concerning. They traded for Kevin Byard last week to play safety, former All-Pro. But if their pass rushers are not getting to the opposing quarterback, 
which they weren't yesterday with Sam Howell until the fourth quarter, you can score on Philadelphia. So do I trust them with an impending matchup with the Dallas Cowboys and NFC East showdown on Sunday on Fox? Not really, but I do give them credit for winning two games against divisional opponents that Kansas City couldn't do. But do I know that Philadelphia will go back to the Super Bowl? No. I predicted they would before the start of the season. But things happen. I'm going to center on these two teams before we dive into the entire league, which we will as we do every Monday. The NFL trade deadline is tomorrow. And the NFL trade deadline for a long time was a, a prop. It was a day that nobody really cared about. Nothing happened. And I think it's a bigger storyline this year. And it's a bigger storyline on multiple fronts. For Kansas City and Philadelphia, their objectives are very clear. Get back to the game that you were in last year. For Kansas City, get back to that game and win it like you did. In Philadelphia, get back to that game and do what you couldn't do in 2023, and that's win the Super Bowl. I look at Philadelphia, acquire a safety. I think they need to do a little bit more. Acquiring another person in the secondary to help your team would be paramount. Now, what are those teams? you got to look at bad clubs. Would the Carolina Panthers part with Jeremy Chin, for instance? Good player, has some talent, has been a good secondary player for a long time. Would he be available on a 1-6 team that is going nowhere, who doesn't have a first-round pick in this year's draft? That's something if I'm a team like Carolina, I read a report that they don't want to trade Brian Burns, who's probably their best defensive player. You might want to give him a long-term extension, thinking that this rebuild won't take that long, that you have your quarterback of the future, you like Frank Reich as your head coach. Sure, that's a thought. But cultivating a rebuild, augmenting, improving, speeding up a rebuild, it's nice to have a first-round pick. It really is. And if you could trade a secondary player, if you could trade a great pass rusher to get a first-round pick, that's something I would do. I think Carolina has players that could help the Philadelphia Eagles. Another player in that secondary makes you more threatening. I look at that secondary. I don't know if they can get to the Super Bowl with it. So I think it's something they need to do. This needs to be a – you're playing basketball. This is your press man. You are – Guarding full court. Make it happen. Find a trade partner to the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman. Draft picks are no object. What do you care if you're trading a first-round pick? They mean nothing to you. They're just there. If you're winning, first-round picks are a joke. Super Bowls are what you're playing for. When it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, You love Travis Kelsey, because who doesn't? Maybe Taylor Swift might not, but everybody else does. 
So you have him. You love him. Their running backs are okay. They're serviceable. Their offensive line was a question mark before the start of the season. It's still a question mark for me because they take a ton of penalties. Juwan Taylor at right tackle. Again, a question mark. Are you going to get a great old lineman? I'd look into it. I think for Kansas City, your defense is pretty good. They had an off day yesterday, and you're entitled to an off day. It's bound to happen. That offense has had a number of off days. I think Patrick Mahomes needs another very elite to very good receiving threat. You need a guy other than Kelsey that people fear, that can create, that has speed, that has something that you value. In Baltimore, Bateman, Zay Flowers, Andrews, you might say none of them are elite, but they're all pretty damn good. And I think Scantling is a deep threat, but he's not he's, – he's B at best. Nicole Hardman's a special teams player. Kadarius Tony's just been a flat-out bust in the NFL. Looked great coming out of Florida, but just hasn't come together. So with all that being said, they need another receiving threat. Pinpointing Carolina, there's Adam Thielen, who's been very, very productive. I don't see the Bears trading DJ Moore after acquiring him this offseason and giving up a first-round pick to get him. That likely won't happen. But, again, would you would you at least inquire about him? I mean, you just beat the Broncos. Are they looking to trade Jerry Judy? Would they trade Cortland Sutton? They're not making the playoffs. They know where they're going here. There are some bad teams in the NFL that, quite frankly, will value draft picks over the players, over these players long term. So that's, I think, Kansas City and Philadelphia. You have about a little more than 24 hours to figure out your plan and to improve your respective rosters. Because while Philadelphia is 7 and 1 after 8 weeks and Kansas City is 6 and 2, and you look at both of them and go that's impressive records and you're not worried about worrying about them not winning their division or missing the playoffs. I think the Dallas Cowboys are a pretty damn good team. And I think the Dallas Cowboys will still threaten the Philadelphia Eagles in the race for the NFC East. And as I mentioned, they play this coming weekend in Philadelphia. That's no gimme. The way the Dallas Cowboys play, that physical style of defense, Dak Prescott, under the radar, has been the best quarterback in the NFL over the last two weeks. That game against the Chargers on Monday night and that game against the Rams yesterday, he was the best quarterback in the league. He's been efficient. He's dialing it up. Him and C.D. Lamb, they're being creative. Mike McCarthy, you're seeing some things, some productivity, some creativity. It's coming together for them boys up in Dallas. 
riding the momentum of the Texas Rangers getting to the World Series. Success in Texas for the first time seemingly ever. They're still a damn good team. And when their defense wants to play, they're a really good team. And Dallas probably won't do anything at the trade deadline because that's not Jerry Jones's M.O. He likes his team. He won't want to trade picks and stand pat. But you could make an argument, you can make a, a good argument, that Dak Prescott's been a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts this year. I don't think that's a crazy statement. Has he thrown? Did he have that awful game against the 49ers? Yeah. Because he, he always plays bad against the 49ers for whatever reason. Excluding that game and problems I've had with him in the red zone, Dax looked pretty solid. This year, 10 touchdowns, 5 interceptions doesn't sound, but that's a little, like I said, 3, three interceptions in one game. So if you exclude that, 10 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. Completing 71% of his passes, which is a career high. He's got a 98 quarterback rating. My other thing, he's running the football. Averaging four and a half a carry. Had a rushing touchdown yesterday against the Rams. I like seeing him use his legs. He's doing it, doing it all. And I think Jalen Hurts played really well yesterday. Like they both played well. They could have been the two best quarterbacks in the NFC because there was a lot of bad quarterback play yesterday and a lot of injuries. But if I if you just zero in on the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year and can you get back? That's the question. You need a lot of things to go right. You need health. You need that. Both teams have been pretty healthy. Philadelphia did more in the offseason in order to get back to the Super Bowl. They improved their team via the draft more than Kansas City did. They got more help when it comes to players that can play this year. Kansas City lost pieces. They lost Frank Clark. They lost Eric Bieniemy. They lost receivers that Patrick Mahomes can use. They need another guy. And oddly enough, Kendrick Bourne, who plays for the Patriots, who's been underutilized and underserved his entire time in New England because they don't know how to run an offense, he tore his ACL yesterday. That's a damn shame because that's, that's a twofold hurt. If you're a Kansas City fan, I think he would have helped your team, and I think he would have fit in perfectly with Mahomes. And then also, if you're a Patriots fan, it's another guy you can't trade to get a draft pick because your season's going nowhere fast. Two and six, you, you get swept by the Dolphins in the season series. Woof. No Kendrick Bourne trade. Nobody wants Devontae Parker. Nobody. Patriots don't want him. Nobody wants Juju Smith-Schuster. All he's good for is taking late shots on, de on defensive players late in the game yesterday. That's all he's done all season. Collecting a check to do jack shit. 
But for Kansas City, find that team who can give you something of value. Because you're 6-2, and two, and it's important to do it now. Because Kansas City plays the Miami Dolphins this coming weekend. And you could argue the best game of Week 9, and it's in Frankfurt, Germany. I don't know what Germany did that London hasn't. Germany's been associated with the NFL for five minutes. I've never been to Germany, never been to London. If I had to pick one, I would go to Germany. So I guess I'm sort of on the NFL side here. But if I'm London and I've gotten the Jags 85 times and they've thrown me over the Colts and somebody else, you think you give me a good game after a while? How about this, Frankfurt, Germany? Dolphins, Kansas City, Sunday morning. Set your alarms if you like to sleep in. 10.30 kickoff, Frankfurt, Germany, two best teams in the AFC. I assume that Chiefs will get on a bird to Germany by, say, Wednesday. Trade deadlines tomorrow. Spooky season. Crazier things have happened. Can you make some, Can you make a deal happen? Can you land a fish? They need one. Find a trade partner. It's a shame the Raiders won't trade in division because Devontae Adams, oh, he'd be so good in this offense. He's so underserved in Vegas as they play tonight against the Detroit Lions in another primetime game that I can't believe they scheduled this game before the season. Let alone not flex it, but before the season, this is the game you had? Who thought the Raiders were going to be good? They've had a lot of primetime games. Because it's in Vegas. Throw on uh, Lloyd Christmas Jr. on the screen there. and Show off his great haircut. The Raiders are going to be bad from jump. Any, any idiot analyst could have predicted that. Oh, but porn star Jimmy's back on the field tonight. Great. Monday Night Football. And am I going to watch it? Yes, because I'm a hypocrite. But still a stupid game. Just like Bears-Chargers last night, but Kansas City, Philly, improve your teams by the deadline because you aren't as good as you were last year. And while the rest of the league isn't all that much, isn't that much better either, it's going to be tough to get back where you want to go. A team that's, it's easy to say today, after you get a big win, this team is back. He's back to play in the way we want. It's an easy take. The Bengals go into San Francisco. And Joe Burrow did what Kenny Anderson could never do. Beat the 49ers. That's an old reference if you're new to football. Kenny Anderson was a quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, playing against the great Joe Montana way back when. Played two Super Bowls against each other, and San Francisco won them both because San Francisco had Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. Some pretty good players, Charles Haley. But Joe Burrow and the Bengals, coming off a bye week, went into San Francisco and 
put it on Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco 49ers, who lost their third straight game yesterday. Woof. Joe Burrow looks healthy. That bye week certainly helped them. Their offense looked in sync. It had space. It had touch. Quick strike. Jamar Chase making plays. Great throws by Joe Burrow into the back of the end zone. T. Higgins looked healthy, looked competent. The three-headed monster of Higgins, Boyd, Chase. Paired with a Joe Mixon who had an extra burst yesterday. Cincy is still the threat. Prior to the season, I had the Bengals and the Eagles meeting in the Super Bowl. And I thought that because I love Cincy's offense. I love Joey B, Joe Burrow. And the big X factor, Cincinnati kept their defensive coordinator who interviewed for head coaching jobs, but a, na- a man by the name of Lou Anarumo. He stayed in Cincinnati. And the defense yesterday showed why they are elite and why Anarumo is a great defensive coordinator. Through three quarters, I thought Brock Purdy was playing a hell of a game, quite frankly. He was scrambling, making big plays, throwing on the run, finding Ayuk down the field on plays that shouldn't have happened. But in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati does a little smoke and mirrors. We're going to run a linebacker at you, or are we? We're going to drop in coverage. Am I chasing you or not? Corner blitz, but then not blitz. It was a lot of, what are we doing here? A lot of processing and forcing Brock Purdy to make decisions. Normally in Kyle Shanahan's offense, it's easy to decipher. You know the system, this is the play, and we, we make it happen. Over the last three weeks, certain moments, in particular yesterday, Brock Purdy had to make decisions, and Cincinnati made him pay for them. To me, the Bengals, when healthy, when competent, when all together, are as scary a team as any in the NFL. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. Anna Rumo, Zach Taylor, Jamar Chase, right up there with any receiver. They have the scheme. They know what it, it takes to win. They haven't won a Super Bowl, but they got they got to a Super Bowl. They've won a playoff game at Arrowhead in Kansas City. Because I look at this list. Kansas City, Miami, Baltimore, and the Jags all have a 6-2 and two record in the AFC. Quite impressive. Then there's the Bengals at 4-3, and three, and you look at that record and you go, oh, are they that good? Because they're tied with Cleveland and with Pittsburgh in their own division. To me, Cincinnati is as scary as any of those teams. I think Baltimore is really good. And they are, they are really good. Lamar's playing great football. He's very much in the MVP race, if you ask me. He's played that good of football this year. But I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals more than I like Miami. As much as I think Tua's played great. 
and the defense has gotten better. But the Dolphins make plays in games that, quite frankly, can make you shake your head. Plays that are just too risky in certain moments, and they get away with them. When you do it against Carolina, it's okay because Carolina stink. And you do it against the Patriots because the Patriots are no good. And you beat up and you make mistakes against these bad teams. You can overcome it. But do that against Kansas City. Do that against a Buffalo. Do it against Philadelphia. You lose, which has been the track record of the Dolphins this year. They are winless against good teams. I don't consider the Chargers a very good team. Because the Chargers are 3-4 and four and they beat nobody either. Beat the Bears on a Sunday night at home. Way to go. Since he, it took a while, starting slow, injuries, no training camp for Joe Burrow. They need to continue to prove it. Continue to build on this. But they are a scary, scary group. They host the Bills this Sunday night. Big game. Two, four, and three teams. Not to mention, first time the teams are meeting since DeMar Hamlin died on the field and they brought him back. Remember that? January last year. Happened in Cincinnati, Ohio. That game we played in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sunday night. Week nine's actually got a lot of great slate of games. But having a chess piece like Jamar Chase is so valuable because he can be dead to rights and create something, keep his feet moving, create a play, third and five, and he gets you six. And pinning it back to Kansas City, I think you look at Kelsey and he can do that. And you know he can do it because he's done it forever. And you know Mahomes can scramble for a first down. He can do it. But if you double Kelsey before you had Tyreek Hill, who was was great, right? And last year, Kansas City had the last remains of Juju Smith-Schuster before New England took him with his bad knees, and now he's gone. So I think Cincinnati has a chess piece that is really indestructible. The Rook, in my opinion, which is the best chess piece. That's just one man's opinion, but I love playing chess. The Rook, backwards, forwards, side to side. It can attack and it can get you at any point. Jamar Chase is a Rook. Because you look at him and go, he, I, I've, got, I've got his peace. He can't do anything now. I've got him. I'm going to take that peace. But then the rook can escape, get out of a bad situation, and before you know it, the rook is on the hunt, and the rook is looking to take away your best option. I don't think Kansas City has that. They might have some pawns. Maybe Valdez Scantling is a bishop. But bishops can only do one thing. 
move vertically. Sorry, move diagonally. I'm not a fan of the bishop. It's a one-dimensional chess piece. You're looking at pro sports. You want to have as many players that can do a variety of different things. I mean, think about what you go to school. When you go to school, you don't just go to school to learn how to write. You go to learn how to read. You learn how to spell. You learn how to communicate with others. You learn how to draw. You're taking a variety of different classes because you want the goal, which I don't know if it's <laughs> if it ever is accomplished. But what they want you to leave school with is fundamentals to do a whole bunch of different things because not everybody's going to do the same thing in life. In football, there are players that are one-dimensional. In sports, they're great ones can do a bunch of different things. That's Jamar Chase. I think Kansas City has one of those players, and they don't have a second one that can do it. Trade line can change things, and it's hard to, to bet against Kansas City. And But the crazy thing is, Cincinnati with a win, Kansas City with a loss this coming weekend, Cincinnati's a win away from being knotted up with Kansas City with a 6-3 and three record. And they play in the second last week of the season. So while it's a disaster start for the Bengals, and you look at it and they go, okay, they might be dead to rights, they can turn it around quick and still be a threat for one of the top positions in the AFC despite the fact that they play on the toughest division in football. And don't let anybody convince you to any other fact or any position other than it's the toughest division. If somebody says the NFC East is tougher than the AFC North, slap them. Because they're wrong. And they need that guidance. They need to know. Baltimore, 6-2. and two. Cincinnati, 4-3. and three. Pittsburgh, 4-3. and three. The Cleveland Browns, 4-3. and three. Only division in football where every team is above 500. There's a fact of the day, stat of the day for you. And they're all pretty good, despite the fact that the, the Steelers have a lot of flaws and the Browns, have a, which we'll get to. 49ers side of things, they've lost three in a row. They get to a bye, which I'm sure they're thankful about. No Debo again yesterday. No Trent Williams. Brock Purdy was in concussion protocol all week, but played. So who knows how that went? A couple of things. We're clearly learning when everything is perfect for Brock Purdy, he's as good as anybody in the NFL. When it's not perfect for him, it becomes quite difficult. And he doesn't look as good. He doesn't look as comfortable. And the team isn't that good. Also, I think defenses have clearly made an effort to limit Christian McCaffrey, which is smart because Christian McCaffrey is the most important person to this offense, more than the quarterback, more than any receiver, more than any lineman, quite frankly. He had 12 carries for 54 yards yesterday, which is four and a half a clip, which is actually pretty good. 
I thought it was going to be worse than that. San Francisco only ran the ball 23 times. They threw it 31. There's the first mistake. They're a running football team that needs to then incorporate the pass. And Kittle had a huge day. Nine for 149. And Ayuk was over 100. McCaffrey had 64 uh, yards and six catches. But establish the running game, which they were. And then get into play action pass, things of that nature. But Brock Purdy was throwing passes in the first couple weeks, even I noticed this, that you look at and go, oh, that should have been an interception. That was off target. That should have been a pick, but the defense dropped it. Good fortune. Good luck, if you will. And that luck's kind of dried up for him. He has run into some tough times, and every time the ball is in a precarious situation, the defense seems to come up with it. So I think this offense needs to be simplified. But it's also clearly an example that there's mistakes. He puts the ball in bad situations, and that needs to be improved if this team's going to be a legit threat in the NFC. You lose to the Browns, you lose to the Vikings, then you lose to the to the 49ers. Sorry, to the Bengals. Games you, you shouldn't lose. Lost to P.J. Walker. Vikings, okay, but they were under 500. Then you lose to Cincinnati at home. You're playing at home. You need to find a way to win that game. I don't care what the circumstances. I apologize for the phone. But I'm at my parents' home today, and they're still living in the woods and old, so they have a landline, which is a rare thing in our modern society. But I digress. So I'm sorry for the, for the phone. But Brock Purdy needs to settle down. I still think the 49ers are a good team. They're as dangerous as anybody. You could argue this is the worst stretch for Kyle Shanahan since he got into the league being a head coach, offensive coordinator, anything. It just looks weird. It isn't flowing. It isn't working all that well. Fourth quarters, they're not efficient. When it gets to a third and one, they seem to panic and make bad decisions. I'm not a Brock Purdy's dead kind of guy, put in Sam Darnold. That's not... What I, I don't think that's the right decision. You have a bye week. Get healthy. Watch some tape. And they have smart people. John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they are good at what they're doing. But this debacle, and if, if it turns out to be something that doesn't win, it goes awry. Because technically Seattle's first in that division currently because Seattle's got a 5-2 and two record. They had their bye week before San Francisco. They missed the playoffs, or they're in the playoffs and they go out early. It'll be the same question in San Francisco as it is every offseason. Why don't you have a better quarterback? Why leave it up to Jimmy Garoppolo or C.J. Beathard or Brock Purdy 
Why is that the option? That would always have been the question, no matter what. Funny thing, they tried to improve the position with Trey Lance, and they booted him for a fifth-round pick to Dallas. Because he didn't work out, and they took him third overall. Mr. Relevant was looking like the savior, and he said his first speed bump of his young career. I think there's slight, I wouldn't say full-on panic in San Francisco, but the alarm is on. People are aware that there's problems around the situation. That there could be something wrong. And it's on them to, to address it. I just mentioned Seattle. They won a game yesterday at home that they had no business winning. Cleveland without PJ Walker, or without, sorry, Deshaun Watson. P.J. Walker, again, went into Seattle, one of the toughest environments in the NFL, and had the game won. And if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, I don't really understand you because Deshaun Watson's a piece of shit. But if you root for that team, you're thinking, we beat the 49ers. The refs gave us the game against the Colts because they screwed them. And now we go into Seattle with P.J. Walker, and we beat the Seahawks, who were a playoff team last year. What a couple weeks for us. It's two, almost a two-minute warning. They have to run a play before the two-minute warning. They call a timeout. To me, this is simple. I, think, I believe it was third and six. You run the football. I don't care if Seattle has every... Every defensive lineman, every linebacker, every running back at the line of scrimmage, you run that football, get the two-minute warning, and then you punt. Here's why. Seattle needed a touchdown to win. Seattle had not scored a point since the first quarter. The defense had created turnovers. They were physical. They were manhandling the Seattle Seahawks. Not to mention... You're without Deshaun Watson, and the weakest part of the Cleveland Browns team is their quarterback, regardless who's playing. So to take away that risk, you run the football, and then you take your chances with your defense, which statistically has been the best defense in the NFL this year. But Kevin Stefanski and his ego say, you know what, let's throw a pass. And it's P.J. Walker quick is right out of linebacker. He deflects it. Julian Love gets his first interception with the Seahawks. Turnover. Seattle gets the ball inside the Cleveland 20. And wouldn't you know it, before the game's over, I believe it was Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm going to get this right just to make sure. It was, yep, was JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Ohio State product. little toe tap on the sideline. Touchdown, Seattle. They win the game 24-20. They improved to 5 and 2 and the Browns are now 4 and 3. They should be 5 and 2 and throw just completely throw a game away. This was just stupid. <laughs> I have no other way to define it. Stupidity. Arrogance and stupidity. 
Miles Garrett's on your defense. Greg Newsom, who's great, is one of the highest corners in the NFL this year. Zadarius Smith. <clears throat> Awosu Karamoa, who's a flat-out stud. We're not going to rely on our best players. We're going to rely on P.J. Walker, who was cut by the Chicago Bears during the preseason. Was cut. Didn't make the team. Chicago Bears. Let's give the ball to him, who was technically on our practice squad, but we didn't trust Dorian Thompson-Robinson, so we're going to let P.J. Walker cook. I don't feel bad for the Browns. Because as long as that guy's affiliated with the organization, I wish them nothing but negative. But I'll tell you, I would have been pissed because I, I had money on the Browns. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big enough hypocrite, I'll admit this. I had the Browns plus four and a half yesterday. Browns plus four and a half, and they nearly screwed me. Nearly screwed me by letting Seattle win this game. Seattle won 24-20. That's a four-point. That's not it. You need that half. And a little four-and-a-half cover by the Cleveland Browns, which is all I care about. But if they would have cost me there, oh. Colts screwed me earlier in the day. When you get a little 5 p.m. little parlay, feel good about it. But Kevin Stefanski, get your head out of your ass. What are you doing? You had this game. I truly believe Seattle gets the ball back. They're not winning. They were producing nothing up and down the field. Their offense was putrid after the first quarter. Geno Smith fumbled, lost it, and had two interceptions yesterday. His stats, not very good this year. Nine touchdowns, six interceptions. He's playing not great, but the team's 5-2 and because they find ways to win because they're Seattle with Pete Carroll. They just find a way. In this case, because Cleveland is just stupid. They pulled the Seattle in the Super Bowl. Don't do it, but they did it. Good for the Seahawks. They needed that win. And you win that game, you get off the field and go, holy shit, the, the Niners lost. We're first place in the NFC West. We still have to play the Niners twice, but we're still in this thing. We're in good shape. We haven't even played good football yet. If we, If our offense can really put it together... Speaking of a team that needs an upgrade, Seattle needs somebody to play offensive line. They need a couple offensive linemen. They're not going to get it, but they need it. 41-year-old, future Hall of Famer, Jason Peters, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, Chicago Bears, played 26 snaps yesterday. Incredible that he's still playing offensive line in the NFL at 41. Truly incredible. You could argue that's more impressive than anything Tom Brady did at his advanced age. Offensive line? These young pass, Miles Garrett going up against Jason Peters? My God. But Geno getting wrecked. Biggest flaw of their team. They're 5-2. and two. 
Cleveland should be 5-2, and two, and that defense should protest Kevin Stefanski today. And now there's reports that Deshaun Watson could have played, but he decided not. There's some weird stuff going on in Cleveland. He's a, he's a fucking weirdo, so you know it's going to be different there. I think both sides are trying to cover their ass because he's playing horrible, so he doesn't want to admit that he's playing horrible, even though he is. And the team doesn't want to be connected because they gave him that huge contract. They gave him all that money, that huge extension. Now they're stuck with him, and he's completely – he's playing some of the worst football in the NFL. Since returning, there might not be a starting quarterback that's been worse than Deshaun Watson. And the team seems to have more comfort, more comfortable with P.J. Walker being their man moving forward. The XFL MVP, P.J. Walker. Oh, coaches, they love to get in their own way. Something else. Week eight was also, you could you could phrase it as injury week, the NFL. A lot of, a lot of uh, things happened. Tyrod Taylor left the game for the Giants with a rib injury. He had to go to the hospital during the game. Tommy DeVito had to come in. In that game between those two teams, oh, just awful. Jets, Giants, and I was so – I watched the half of that game. So I had two screens and I had my computer. Jets, I watched the whole Jets, Giants half of my – and that was just so painful. That wasn't good. That, that wasn't football, let alone good football. That was just a painful watch. Zach Wilson, to his credit, makes a play at the buzzer. They spike it. And they go to overtime and kick the game-winning field goal, and the Jets are 4-3. and three. And if you bet on the Jets to win the AFC, that's still alive, baby. They're right in the thick of it. 4-3 <laughs> and three with Zach Wilson. But he left the game, Tyrod Taylor. Today, Daniel Jones cleared for contact, so it looks as if he will return in the not-too-distant future, could return this coming weekend. Uh, Falcons, Grady Jarrett, best pass rusher on that team, pro bowler, was once close to being a Super Bowl MVP, torn ACL, he's done for the season. And then there's the biggest injury. Kirk D. Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings, a favorite of mine on To The Point, torn Achilles, done for the season, same exact injury as his former NFC North rival mate, Aaron Rodgers. Same thing as Aaron. Non-contact injury. Just awful. He's only missed one game in his NFL career, Kirk D. Cousins. He's been so durable. And that was due to COVID. 
shouldn't even count anyway. Not getting into that today. Hasn't missed much. He's been durable. He's been available whenever teams need him. And now he's got an injury that's going to take a long time, and he should be ready for the start of next year. But the tough thing for Kirk D. Cousins, he doesn't have a contract after this year, which makes him a free agent. So that will hurt his stock and hurt him getting the most amount of money available on the open market. I, I feel awful for Kirk I feel so bad for Kirk Cousins. I loved him on the quarterback show. I thought he was vulnerable. I thought he was honest. And I really have nothing in common with Kirk T. Cousins because he's a much better person than me. Family guy. I like the show Family Guy. I hate families. I don't want to have one. hate kids. He's got two or three of them. Goes to church. Never going to do that. If you see me in church, somebody's got a gun in my head and I need to go. Or they'll kill my family or something. <laughs> Does that sound bad? Religious community? Don't care. But he's just, he's got a likable quality about him. And he was playing some great football. And they beat the Packers. But now the Vikings, who I thought could push for the playoffs, are 4-4. Four and four, And Kirk Cousins is done for the year. Jaron Hall came in the game. He's a rookie fifth rounder. Wasn't very good in the game. Normally their backup is Nate Mullins. Big, uh, sorry, Nick Mullins. But he got injured in practice. He's, he's injured, so he's not available. So the Vikings are in a really a brutal position. You're 4-4. Four and four, You're playing a weaker NFC. And your schedule was favorable with Kirk to, I think, push for the playoffs. We don't have him. Justin Jefferson, your best receiver, doesn't have a contract after this year. So what do you do? Trade deadline is tomorrow. Do you trade for a quarterback? I think the Vikings are in that position. Jaron Hall is not going to be the answer, I don't think. Nick Mullins is not going to be the answer. There's the possibility you look at a Ryan Tannehill as another veteran. But I think that's a stretch. They're kind of in a no-win situation. I don't think a trade happens where they acquire a quarterback. I would call the commanders about Jacoby Brissett. Because I think Jacoby Brissett with the Vikings could push for a playoff spot. Brissett's been behind Sam Howell all year, and I think Brissett played really well in Cleveland last year. He can he can do that, absolutely. They play Atlanta this coming weekend, which oddly enough, I was going to say that the Vikings should call on not Desmond Ritter, but on another fan favorite, a guy who returned to the field yesterday, the Green Lizard, Taylor Heineke. Desmond Ritter benched after turning the ball over six times. Sorry, if I'm counting three games, nine times in the last three games he's turned the ball over, Desmond Ritter. As they lost to a bad Tennessee team yesterday. So maybe Taylor Heineke's the quarterback moving forward, even though Desmond Ritter was their guy. Quarterback controversy in Atlanta. I would still call on Heineke. 
because I think he's he's better than Nick Mullins. He's better than Jaron Hall. He's played in a playoff game before. He knows how to battle. He knows how to get in these situations. There's options for Minnesota, but there's not many good ones. And it just sucks because I think that team was on the rise. They were, they were feeling good about themselves. Started to see light at the end of the tunnel. Do they call a veteran quarterback? Do they look at a Chase Daniel or a Colt McCoy who can keep them competitive down the stretch? It's not the worst situation. Because it was confirmed while we were recording that Kirk D. Cousins does have a torn ACL, so he's done. Sorry, sorry, torn Achilles. It's just, it's a tough, tough situation. Which, with I don't, I don't see many results that are going to work out for in in the favor of the Minnesota Vikings. But I w- I would call about Jacoby Brissett. I'd call up Chase Daniel to see if he wanted to play. This name always gets thrown around. I don't understand why he's been retired for a long time. Hey, Phil Rivers, do you want to come play? They're a 4-4 four and four team, and they absolutely could be a playoff team with the right quarterback. They just beat the Packers, and the Packers just flat out stink. That was the thing I got wrong more than anything. I'll own it right today. Packers are 2-5. and five. I predicted they'd win the NFC North. They're terrible. And Jordan Love is not the quarterback of the future. Not happening for Green Bay. They're just a mess. They can't produce anything on offense. He's not He's not uh, converting plat passes. Their offensive line isn't any good. They got some problems in Green Bay. But looking at the landscape of the NFC, it's a lot of uh, who who's any good here. Commanders are three and five, tough division. Will they make the playoffs? You have the NFC South, which is the gift that keeps on giving, but also doesn't give you anything. It's a gift of, it's like getting socks when you were a little kid. Nobody's excited for that gift. Great, I got socks. You throw it away and you forget about it. Falcons are four and four. Saints are (laughs) four and four. Fresh off beating the Colts yesterday. And the Saints should be the best team in this division, but they aren't for some reason. And the Bucs are three and four, having lost three in a row. The Panthers at one and six. With the Vikings being gone, I think the Eagles lock playoff team. Dallas, yes. Detroit, yes. I'm still putting in the 49ers because I don't think there's a good enough teams to compete here. Seattle, that's five. There's two more playoff teams coming from the NFC. Obviously, one has to come from the NFC South. I'm just going to write NFC South. 
because I have no clue. Now there's a seventh team. Can the commies turn it around? I don't know. Don't trust it. They might sell off players as well. Green Bay, forget about it. The Bears, forget about it. Another NFC South team? <laughs> Do the Saints and the Bucks make the playoffs? Potentially, which would be sad. Or do the Rams, who are 3-5 and five and are skidding, can they figure it out? Can they right the ship? Rams are at the Packers this coming week. Good team to right the ship against. Rams down the stretch. Looking at their schedule. Host the Seahawks. They beat them in week one. At the Cardinals, it's a good game to have in any schedule. Host Cleveland, that's their next couple games. But a seventh team is going to make the playoffs in the NFC. To me, Minnesota was an easy pick. But now they don't have a quarterback option. They don't have a guy that you're confident in. Jaron Hall is a rookie fifth rounder hopping into the situation? I don't think so. I'm not banking on that. So, just a tough break. Kirk D. Cousins. Out for the season. And he'll enter free agency with that injury hanging over him. Does he return to Minnesota? Does Justin Jefferson return to Minnesota? They're an interesting team to watch over the next two days. Because it was only one game, but Will Levis balled out in his first grand NFL game with the Titans beating the Falcons. Four touchdown passes, three to DeAndre Hopkins. They play on Thursday night, and he's already been announced as the starter for that game. Ryan Tannehill is not healthy enough to go. You drafted him in the second round. If Tennessee is smart, which I think they are, and Mike Vrabel wants to win because he's never going to tank. He's got that Bill Belichick mentality. He's old school. Will Levis is going to start every game the rest of this year. Because he's your second-round pick, and you need to see what you have in him. Plus, he's probably better than Ryan Tannehill at this point of his career. So saying all of that, Ryan Tannehill will be sitting on a bench, and he could help another team. Although I did see Schefter said on Pat McAfee's show earlier that the Titans are unlikely to trade Ryan Tannehill. They're unlikely to trade Derrick Henry now. They are 3-4. and four. Maybe, maybe they can make a run. Also, apparently Denver is not going to sell pieces. And as we're talking about trade deadline, we have a trade. The New York Giants are finalizing a deal to send Pro Bowl defensive lineman Leonard Williams to the Seattle Seahawks. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reports the Giants will receive a 2024 second-round pick and a 2025 fifth-round pick in return. Good mover, Seattle. Proving their defense. Would have been nice to see them get an offensive lineman.
but good move for the for the Seahawks to get some help on that defensive front. He's a good player. So that's what's happening in the NFL. Trade deadline tomorrow. Lots to be decided. I do think there will be activity as we just saw a trade. Things will happen. Teams want to get in the mix. And how will these bad teams, what do they choose? How much do they sell? Like for, if I was the New York Giants, who are 2-6, and six, I'd be trading Saquon Barkley. No doubt about it. He's on a franchise tag. You're going to have to franchise tag him again next season, which I don't think they want to do, and he won't want to do it. Why not just move him to a good team? Why not just trade him to the Buffalo Bills? No, we won't do it. We're going to keep him. Okay. While the Bills will add Leonard Fournette today, a guy who's been obviously former Super Bowl champion with the Bucs, and he was good with the Jags, former – Fourth overall pick, but he's kind of like Zeke Elliott going to the Patriots. You're kind of like, okay. Nice back. He's a power back, and he'll help you, sure, but you're not excited about it. Saquon Barkley changes that team. <laughs> Even Baltimore. Baltimore gets their hands on a Derrick Henry or a Saquon Barkley. Game over. With that offense, good luck, and their defensive front has been as good as anybody in the NFL. Jags are 6-2. and two. Could they get an offensive lineman? <laughs> Could they get somebody to help Trevor? Jags won a game easily yesterday. They turned the ball over three times. Kenny Pickett gets hurt. Trubisky comes in. Minka Fitzpatrick got hurt as well as another big injury. He's out Thursday night. Kenny Pickett's going to be a game-time decision. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Thursday night football. Have fun with that, L. Michaels. But an interesting week eight. It concludes tonight with Vegas, Detroit. Let's find the line for that game on FanDuel. It's in Detroit. Again, why Monday night in Detroit? Detroit's a seven-point favorite. Vegas is the only team in the NFL who has not scored 20 points this season. Offensively. They scored 20 points because of that safety against the Patriots, but on their own merit, they have not scored 20 points. If I'm betting this game, I'm laying the points. Give me Detroit, minus 7. They have a bye coming up. They just got smoked by the Ravens last week. They're mad. Dan Campbell's been pressing them all week. An extra day of practice. Detroit's going to be ready to play. They're one of the best teams in the NFC. Vegas is just not a very good team, period. Detroit, minus seven, is the play tonight. Let's see this weekend. Nothing huge. College football, the biggest result would be Kansas beating Oklahoma. Oklahoma was undefeated. 
First time Kansas has beaten Oklahoma since 1997. They vault themselves into the top 25. The first college football rankings will be out tomorrow night on the mothership. Colorado lose another game. They're now 4-4 four and four under Coach Prime. Oregon crushes Utah in Utah. They look like a damn good team. They, their only loss is to Washington. USC wins a thriller over Cal. They, had to win, they won it because Cal went for a two-point conversion when they could have tied the game, but I appreciated the play. FSU crushed Wake Forest. A lot of teams were on bye weeks. Big week in the NFL, big week in college football upcoming. LSU plays Alabama this coming Saturday. USC is hosting Washington, which should be a lot of fun. Two really good teams. What else we got this weekend? Let's see here. I know it's a good slate. Kansas State, who is ranked at Texas. Will Quinn Ewers play? Big question. Um, let's see. Missouri. One loss, Missouri, coming off a bye at Georgia. Missouri's a good team, ranked 14th in the country. Toughest test for Georgia this year by far. Cal, Oregon is actually an interesting game because Cal can score points. Washington at USC, at Purdue at Michigan, LSU at Alabama. Oregon State at Colorado. Maybe a little less spicy because Colorado's on a losing streak, and Oregon State lost to Arizona. This past weekend, but Arizona's five and three in the Pac-12, and they're actually a pretty good team. So a really good college weekend. My top four as it stands. One is obviously Georgia. Have won 25 straight games. They're the best team in the country. They don't turn the ball over. They blow at opponents. They've had a couple close games towards the front. You could argue they played nobody, but neither has Michigan. Which brings you to number two, Michigan. Michigan is in a bunch of controversy right now because they're being accused of sign stealing. They're being accused of cheating all across the NCAA. Jim Harbaugh was going to get a long-term extension, but he's not getting one now because of this investigation. So they're in some hot water, but they dummy every opponent. They get another bad team this week in Purdue. Last couple weeks of the season, they get to play Penn State. They get to play Ohio State. That will define them. But as of right now, they are number two. Number three is the Ohio State. I don't like putting them this high, but they are undefeated And what I'll say about them. They beat Notre Dame, who's ranked. Notre Dame might be 11. It might even be 10 at this point. They've had some big wins this year. They crushed Pitt over the weekend. They beat Notre Dame, and they beat Penn State. Two teams ranked inside the top 15. They're the only school to do this this year. And again, you've beaten two teams that only have one loss, and their only loss is to you. So that's pretty impressive. Ohio State, again, I think Kyle McCord at quarterback is a big question mark. He has some holes. You love Marvin Harrison, but the rest of their offense, it's a little meh. I don't think they beat Michigan, but as of right now, they keep that spot. Number four is Florida State. Florida State has some tough games down the stretch. But again, they are still undefeated. They have beaten Clemson. They have beaten Duke.
They've gone through the teams they've had to beat. They do play the University of Miami in a couple weeks, which I don't think is a gimme win, even though Miami has lost to Georgia Georgia Tech, and they lost, they beat Clemson in overtime, and they only beat a 1-6 Virginia team in overtime. They have some players. They seem to get up for bigger games. I don't think that's an easy win for Florida State, but they do control their destiny. If they win out, they will be there. Outside looking in, you have Washington, who I think is really good, still undefeated. But they they got to play, got to go to USC. They still got to go to Oregon State, which is a tough place to play. They play Washington State down the stretch. They have a number of ranked schools still to get by. If they can go undefeated, they're getting in, no doubt about it. But I don't know if they will. They're a little one-dimensional. And at number six, I'm going to put Oregon because I think Oregon, their only losses to Washington. They've dominated everybody else. Bo Nix is a Heisman candidate. Creative offense. I like Dan Lanning as a head coach. They have a lot of great things going for them at Washington. Sorry, at Oregon. And... With one loss, if they win out, I think they will get in. I don't think it's a sub-zero chance. We get two Pac-12 schools in the in the Final Four. It's unlikely, but I don't think it's sub-zero. Oregon finishes hosting Cal, hosting USC, at Arizona State, hosting Oregon State. They will be favored to win all of those games. If they do not slip up, they will go to the Pac-12 title game. Maybe they rematch Washington, their only loss. If they beat Washington, they're going to be okay. Washington at USC, host Utah, go to Oregon State, finish hosting Washington State. Tough last four games for the Huskies and Michael Penix Jr. Can they can it be done? Can they get all those wins? I guess so. But it's tough. Not an easy road. So that's a college football update. Major League Baseball 1-1 in the World Series. Game one was fun Friday night. Diamondbacks jump out to an early lead. Some big plays from just, I like the small ball as, aspect of the of the Diamondbacks. Cor, Corbin Carroll with a triple. You see a bunt. Things happening. They get to, they get to Evaldi for the first time this postseason. Bottom of the ninth. Corey Seager, two-run bomb, ties it. We go to the 11th, and Adolis Garcia, who's in the sheen all postseason, hits the walk-off homer, which gives Texas the 1-0 one, the one series lead. And you saw that the Texas bullpen, which is a big question mark, I talked about it before the series started, held up. They survived it, and they get that win. Game two... It was Arizona from the jump, and they did not let off the gas. 
Started off with Gabriel Moreno, the catcher, remember him, former Blue Jay, who can't, doesn't have power, doesn't hit home runs. Hit a solo home run in the fourth. Then Guriel Jr. drives in a run. Merrill Kelly goes seven strong innings. He was phenomenal. And Arizona ended up scoring 10 runs. Just everybody kept Evan Longoria, the Angels Lunder, gets an RBI. Moreno gets a couple. Corbin Carroll, Cattell Marte. Just that whole bunch that you've never heard any of their names. They just continue to produce. They crushed Texas in Texas. And now we get a Game 3 showdown this evening where the warrior god, Max Serzer, will come to the mound facing Brandon Papt for the Diamondbacks. Papt has pitched 16 and two-thirds innings in the postseason, 270 ERA. He's been very solid. Scherzer, only six and two-thirds and a nine ERA. He wasn't good even in the game seven against the Astros. Hasn't been good in the postseason so far. We'll see what kind of leash Bruce Bochy gives him tonight. And it's kind of important that he gives him some because game three is tonight, Arizona. Game two is tomorrow. Game four is tomorrow in Arizona. And game five is Wednesday. It's three straight days of baseball where you're going to need your bullpen. You're going to need your arms. So you need to be strategic about the way you do it. If necessary, you get an off day on Thursday. Game six will be in Texas on Friday night. I have no feel for the way this series is going yet. I have enjoyed it. I think it's fun. I think the ratings must be terrible. You get a Saturday night. You have hockey. You get college football going. The NBA is back. Texas and Arizona don't exactly scream interesting. But there are some good storylines. I will be following it. We will talk about it here. But the Diamondbacks do have a lovable quality to them. You see the guys and you go, wow, that's that's a cute little story. And he's a good little player and he can do this. And Moreno's a great catch, can throw guys out trying to steal. He's a stud. And Corbin Carroll looks like Gardner Minshew from the Colts, except he's 5'8", but he just cranks triples, and he can hit home runs, and he's going to win Rookie of the Year. And who the hell knows, maybe he'll win World Series MVP in his rookie season. My, wow, what a start to a career. We got a long way to go. I still think Texas should be the favorite, but Arizona has to be thrilled. You get a split after the first two. You might be a little pissed because you go, we can go home 2 nothing after really throwing away game one. But you have the split, and you have three straight games in Arizona, which is special. Job openings in Major League Baseball. Dusty Baker retired to Houston's available. Interesting one that you didn't suspect. Milwaukee is going to be available, it seems like it. Their manager, Craig Council, is in Cleveland today, interviewing for the Guardians job, yet he's still under contract with Milwaukee. We just seen this happen with Bre- uh, with Bob Melvin, who took the Giants job while being employed by the Padres. So what happens with Craig Council? I don't know. Padres job is available. The Mets and the Angels. You think Mets, Angels, 
They haven't been busy the last month. Haven't done anything. It's not signing anybody. You haven't done any business because you didn't make the postseason. You spent a pile of money, but you still don't have a new manager where your teams are going. Do you want to buy? Do you want to sell? Are you going to spend money on free agents? Is Shohei Otani going to go to these clubs? It looks like the Guardians are looking to replace Terry Francona, one of the most admired and revered managers in the history of sport with Craig Council. Nothing confirmed yet, but there was a report this morning that he is indeed in Cleveland meeting with the brass. So a lot of openings in baseball, and after this week, really, we'll have a World Series winner, and it'll be on to business. With what's Houston's gonna what's Houston's goal moving forward? What happens with Otani and what happens with Kershaw? And a lot of decisions have to be made down the pike here in MLB. NHL. I'll tell you, the San Jose Sharks have played nine games. They did not win a game in October, which is hard. 0-8-1, and, and they scored nine goals in eight games. That's really hard to do, really hard, to be that bad, to make the Washington Capitals look like an elite defensive team last night. They lose 3-1 to Washington. Horrible road trip. David Quinn's their, their coach, former coach for the Rangers. First-year head coach, really awful start, but they don't want to win games, so it's, I suppose it's a positive for San Jose. I just wanted to point that out. That they, they're not going to get a win in October, and they're just on a trajectory of complete incompetence that you rarely ever see. Frazier Minton of the Maple Leafs was reassigned to the WHL. No big surprise there, but it finally happened. Maple Leafs lose to the Predators over the weekend. Entertaining game. Bill Nylanders continued to be fantastic. Samsonov wasn't great in that game. I, I don't think – a guy I think needs to play better is Mitch Barner for the Maple Leafs. He has not been around the puck. He hasn't been that exciting. He hasn't been that dynamic this season. He has a lot more to give. <clears throat> Ottawa, Shane Pinto obviously spent 41 games for gambling. Thomas Shabbat took four to six weeks, and Brandstrom and Artem Zuber also hurt. I will say credit to Ottawa. A lot of bad circumstances. A lot of things don't go their way. They win a big game against Pittsburgh on Saturday night. Brady Kachuk came to play, motivated that team. They need to win these games. They need to be in situations to be up in games, not bank on playing really good defensive hockey. But they're 500. After October, they will take that. They will take that because normally they're about eight games. They're normally at San Jose's record after October. So I credit Ottawa. This needs to be continued. Continue to play good hockey. Not having Shane Pinto, not an excuse. Your defense is banged up. It's tough, yes. But Jake Sanderson looks like a complete horse out there. And you do have Jacob Chikrin. Their defense is better than some other teams currently with all these guys missing. Watch Edmonton. Even last night, watch watch Evan Bouchard take a shift, and then you'll really understand the level of frustration you can have with a guy who has so much talent. Ugh. 
But if you don't watch the game, you look at the box score and think the guy's playing fantastic. He isn't, by the way. Just a newsflash. And a team I, I give some props to, Anaheim. They're having a good start to the year. Hand Boss in their first loss. Going to Philly, Frank Vetrano's got two hat tricks in October. He almost has more, he has more goals himself than the whole Sharks team does in the month of October. And also, I was uh, watching that game Saturday afternoon against Philly. Mason McTavish is rounding into form. He's playing a better overall game. I'm not saying 200 feet, but 150. More in tune with his surroundings. Goaltending was better. They're not giving up a whole lot of high-danger chances. And they can score with the best of them. And they have a good record. And Trevor Zegers, Mr. RFA, only has one goal in the season. But they're winning games, and they play in Pittsburgh, I believe, tonight. Might not be Pittsburgh. But I do know they play tonight. They are... I need to know now. It's going to bother me. No, they are in Pittsburgh. Why would I doubt myself? They're in Pittsburgh tonight. But I, I think Anaheim's looking like a better team. They have more flow. They are grounded. They're playing better hockey. Tonight you get Kraken and Lightning. Both teams have had extended breaks. Lightning have looked good last little while. Johansson's been fantastic in between the pipes. Hurricanes at the Flyers. You have Ducks, Penguins, Panthers, Bruins. Boston 7-0-1. I can't believe it. Pasternak's got eight goals. Team's just chugging along. I didn't think they'd be this good. They played it this the first time the two teams are playing since Florida eliminated Boston in Game 7 of last year in the TD Garden. So it should be an emotional night. Looking forward to that matchup. Rangers-Jets, Blake Wheeler returns to Winnipeg. Rangers are off to a 6-2 and two start. Red hot. Credit to them. They dominated the Western Road Swing. Their defense is playing better. They're getting not even great goaltending, which the rest of their team's playing well. Panarin's playing well. I'll give them some credit for that, even though I can't stand them. But Rangers, Jets tonight. Blue Jackets at the Stars. Blackhawks, Coyotes. You got a little Connor Bedard, Logan Cooley action. And the Montreal Canadiens at the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas loses their first game on Friday to Chicago in overtime, so they do get a point. But then they bounce back the next, next night and beat the Los Angeles Kings. They are 8-0-1, the best start to a season for any team in the history of the league that won the Stanley Cup the year prior. Incredible. Great goaltending. Everybody's contributing. They're just a well-oiled machine. And they get a Montreal team tonight who have had an incredible start for Montreal. 5-2-1. Who saw that coming for Montreal? 5-2-1. They're playing good. They're confident. And I look as a motivation thing tonight for Montreal. Montreal plays tonight in Vegas. They don't play again until Thursday. Which tells me you play good tonight, you stay in Vegas an extra day, and you floor it. That would be my vote motivation of a Martin Saint Louis. Guess what? We play we play good tonight, boys. We're staying. We'll only go to Arizona Wednesday morning if you really play well tonight. We beat 
We beat the defending cup chance. We give them their first regulation loss of the season. Do whatever you want tonight. That would motivate me. Those are the games on tap tonight. Before we sign off today, the NHL outdoor game was last night, if you didn't catch it. I think it was a complete total flop. I watched parts of it. I was flipping back and forth between that and the NFL game, and then I started watching Sacramento and the Lakers, which might be my issue and not the league's, but that was a better product. Went to overtime. Light the beam. The Edmonton jerseys were appalling. The Calgary red were bad. So just the the look of it. The spectacle was cool. I, I thought the way they dropped the puck with six guys was weird. Just strange. They had six former guys. And they, they were kind of reminiscing about 03 with an outdoor game. So you had Montreal jerseys, but it was Calgary and Edmonton. Just weird for me. Didn't work. Chopped the shark. The product was okay, but the outdoor games, it's, it's never that good. McDavid returned, which was great for the league. Calgary, oof, they're a mess. They're a mess. Edmonton's not much better because I look at that and go, okay, you won a game last night, but I still think you're a mess because you nearly lost to Calgary. I just think October 29th, that's not the time for the outdoor game. Shitty weather in Edmonton for eight months, nine months out of the year. Why not do it another time? And I get it. You might say it's too cold later in the year. Well, I just don't think it works in October because it's October and there's the NFL and it's a Sunday. And it's just, I don't know. I'm sure they sold a lot of beer and there was a lot of people there and it was sold out and that's a win. Sure. But as an overall product, I don't think it's a good product. And I think it's a flop because... I, I, I make this argument all the time. People in Canada will watch the game, but that's not the audience you're trying to attract. You're trying to attract the American audience for hockey because you already have it. You already have it locked up. Baseball changing, it, changing its rules was not to appease the 50 to 85-year-old demographic because you already have that demographic. You're trying to get the... 18 to 34 year olds to watch baseball and say, okay, you're going to be able to watch this game and it's only going to take two hours and 20 minutes. Well, two hours and 20 minutes, that's like the same time as a hockey game. I can do that. I'm already watching hockey. It's the same thing as doing the frozen frenzy on the same night as the beginning of the NFL, as, as beginning of the NBA, pardon me. Why? And it's also game seven of the NLCS. There's better times to put them in. You want to do a Heritage Classic in Canada. I get it. A Saturday would have been better than a Sunday. TNT had it last, I think, and it was Cuthbert and Craig Simpson, which I was stunned because I'm like, oh, they didn't call the lease game yesterday. I didn't think they'd send them to, send them to the outdoor game, but they did. 
But to me, it's a flop. It didn't work. Didn't grow the game. Didn't do any of that. Plus two and everybody was bundled up like they were going to die. Like it was that cold. Like they were in a fucking meat freezer. Get tougher, by the way. Jesus Christ. I'm not saying I'm tough, but I don't get cold easy. I mean, I, I get it. I like to wear shorts a lot of the throughout the year. But plus two is not cold. I had to tell that to people today. New Brunswick, it's snowing today, which is so depressing. Hopefully it goes away. I'm not ready to see it on October 30th. But I'm not wearing a jacket today. You can hardly get me in a jacket. I hate wearing jackets. First stuff I'll be why wear the jacket? It's cold outside. I was asked that three times today. Because I'm a man. That's why. It's good to be back. Missed you guys. Missed doing this. Let's say we do it again tomorrow. You guys down for that? Monday Night Football. Game three of the NLCS. Panthers-Bruins. Revenge game. Montreal motivation game, full NBA slate. We'll talk about it all tomorrow. NFL trade deadline tomorrow as well, so we'll react to all of it. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the snow. Talk to you tomorrow. To the point.